Hello and welcome to the Shimmercast, the spikiest podcast in Eternal. I am Dr. 28. And I'm TCG Cthulhu. Uh, and we have our first guest of the show. Uh, joining us today is uh, Team Rankstar's very own Murder of Crows. Murder, how you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here as your first guest. It's quite the honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, so to introduce you, uh, you would like to know how you started playing competitive Eternal. What are some of your accomplishments and tournament results and kind of what what keeps you um, playing in Eternal tournaments? So first started playing Eternal I th- about a year and a half ago. I think it was a fall of Arginport was the last set that came out. So I've been playing since then, um, but haven't really gotten into the competitive scene until uh, I'd say six to eight months ago. Um, started running the ECQs, doing reasonably well. Uh, joined Team Rank Star at the start of this year, and in the last uh, three or four months have done quite well in a number of tournaments. I got top four last weekend in the Expedition Spring Championship. The tournament prior was the Throne ECQ, where I got top 64, and uh, using my deck, the Boxer ended up going and taking it down. And then a few weeks before that, I got to top 16 of the uh, QCP tournament, which was also thrown. So I've been doing fairly well recently, uh, hoping to keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've been, you've been really on the map recently, lots and lots of finishes and a very good job. Um, so I guess our, for our first main topic, the show, uh, we're going to recap the uh, expedition spring championship that happened this past weekend. And what a expedition it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it was quite the format. I mean, one of the, the older expedition tropes was how uh, there was the Xenon expedition ECQ where Xenon Cultus was just by far the best deck and kind of took over. And then this was just a next level of that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Eternals, like, Eternal's a great game, and I and I love it, but there's just something about this ECQ. I can't quite put my finger on it. Would it be just the fact that the entire like top sixteen was F- FTS? I I think I think I think there might be a problem here. Yeah, I think it was uh, quite something that in seven of the top eight and only and yeah fourteen slash. 13 or 14 of the top 16 were on FTS. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Stein was the only one. He was running a Rakano list. But, I mean, it, something like this does make sense in a format like Expedition because uh, if you compare formats like Throne to Expedition, uh, Expedition, with its much more limited card pool, has a lot less room to experiment with different ideas. And typically when, when the good formula and the good deck comes out that is what everyone's going to gravitate towards because there's not as much room to experiment as in a format like throw which is what happened with this uh, spring expedition i think um undoubtedly vox uh, uh fts was just the best with vox kato even handy gold these were all cards that were incredibly strong uh saw insane amounts of play more than what should have been played um, and then in a format like Expedition, where you have all these good cards, you just jam them into a deck, 
And that's what the format kind of devolved into, I feel. I, I think a big thing for this uh, spring championship as well is these cards came out um, Monday or Tuesday, Jack Gicaria, uh supplier, which leaves such a small amount of time for people to brew with the cards that I think combining Jack, which is an insanely powerful three drop, uh, slash four drop um, with machinations, which lets you recur it along with Carver, Pioneer, Cato. It's it was the obvious choice of something extremely powerful to be doing. So, with that being such a powerful deck and only having four days to brew with the new cards, everyone just went to that and worked on refining that deck rather than if we had an extra week. I think maybe we'd see some other decks and brews, but there just was no time to figure those out. That's actually what I was just about to ask you. Like, what were your thoughts on like the fact that they released those cards so early? Cause I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering like, you know, what was Direwolf thinking releasing the, the set of cards at that power level, like right a week before a big tournament? Yeah. I think it was, it limits what people can do on it because yeah, you only have so much time to test so many decks, and we're we're doing the same thing right now for the Throne Spring Championship after the balance changes. As once you find a deck that's performing well, um, rather than wasting your time trying to brew other things, it's better to just refine that list. Yeah, it's gonna be an it's gonna be an interesting event for sure. Uh, I, I still haven't figured out what I'm gonna play for Throne and for for Expedition. It it, it took. It didn't take that long to figure out that I was supposed to play uh, Firetime Shadow, so definitely, definitely different. It's kind of like a similar thing where there's like a bunch of new cards in the format's really new, and for the for the last tournament, it was pretty obvious what faction combo to play. But for this one, there's like it's a new format, but it's less obvious, which I think will be a good thing once we get to the tournament and are looking for like deck diversity. But for for testing for the tournament, it's really difficult. Absolutely. Um... But so, do you have any stories from this uh, from this uh, expeditions uh, tournament? So myself, I took uh, made it to top four with a slightly unconventional variant of FTS, which is the same eighty cards that Notorious GHP in the boxer also took to the top four. So we had three people in the top four on the same eighty cards. And that list was also using Endra alongside Jack. And uh, we were looking to abuse those under the battlefield effects with pause for reflection to bounce them in response to removal or to just reuse them when we needed to. Uh, and then you're also using machinations to bring a whole bunch of cards back. And then in our market, we had Immortalize and Kairos choice to do that even more time so our game plan was to abuse those enter the battlefield effects control the board and push damage and gain advantage that way and it was extremely effective and yeah it took three of us who were on the same car on the same deck into the top four yeah man i could have almost played that deck um i know um you gave the list to carnage and i think carnage played like about what you guys were playing um i had the option between playing that deck or um there's an open contract deck i was working on i ended up going for the open contract list which mm -hmm. i still think was pretty good um i think it's like it's obviously all marginal because i think most of the cards like 
are, are very similar. It's basically like, do you want to play Endra and pause for reflection, or do you want to play open contract and rectifier and like strange burglar? And so yeah. I think like the, the core cards are the same, and I think the like the win rates of the decks is going to be like marginally different. Um, you guys obviously want a lot more, so I might have to concede my point that I think open contracts better, but uh, I'm, I'm still going to hold out. I, gu- I guess we'll see with all the changes. Maybe there'll still be something there. Well, I think that's the thing too. Is I open contract is it's a unique card and certainly very powerful effect and something that could exist in a good shell. Um, but I think it's possible that there just wasn't enough time to fully refine that shell. Yeah, for sure. I so uh, I mean I was testing stuff like General Grazer. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like going really deep on open contract in some of the builds and it just like wasn't, I didn't have enough time to figure out if I was supposed to be playing general grazer or if I was supposed to be like playing some other cards or yeah. if there's a way to like make a like FPS version of it, um, stuff like that. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see with the like exhibition ECQ coming up next weekend. Um, mm-hmm. There'll be something there that I can figure out or that someone else can figure out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the throne prep right now is a little all over the place. Not really sure what's good, but I'm looking forward to. I, for one, prefer expedition. I think there's uh, something to be said for the limited card pool, and that yeah, you get a little bit of the same decks, but the matchups are less polarizing. Where I think is what I think throne is at right now, where there's extremely aggressive stone scar builds and then completely unitless control decks well so on, on the on the topic of polarizing uh builds and, and just uh expedition and <clears throat> throne in general um i think that like is a good segue into the next topic which is just brewing competitive decks so you and and the boxer you you guys team up and you build decks all the time and you two are unarguably probably some of the best deck builders in the in the game currently so how would you say that uh, deck builders of your skill attack the metagames and help formulate the decks that a lot of the um, less skilled deck builders uh, start to play? I, I want to start off first saying that if you were to ask me six months ago if I would consider myself a good deck builder, the answer most certainly would have been no. So it's something that takes anyone can grow into with practice and working with the right people. Uh, I've been working with Team Rankstar, with the Boxster, um, Lights Out Ace, who I think is one of the absolute all-time great deck builders in Eternal. Uh, Sir Rhino's there, GHP. There's a huge slew of talent on the team. Oh, yeah. Team Rankstar is, has some incredible talent when it comes to deck builders. It's actually insane. And, yeah, so working with those players and as well, just players in other discords as well um learning from them has been a huge thing so uh, interacting with people is a great way to learn and asking questions um and then for as far as deck building itself kind of thinking back to five faction vox that uh the boxer won the ecq with that was something that we had already established that even Vox was a good deck uh, once the previous set came out, when Vox was released. And I just thought, what happens if we throw Kilo in there? Um, 
Interloper was one of the cards that was proving to be more and more powerful every time I looked at it. So I wanted to try it out. So decided to take a crazy idea and see if it worked. And that was kind of the start of that deck is let's start throwing crazy ideas around and seeing what sticks. Uh, so I threw, took even Vox, put in Sloth, Kilo, and four copies of Endless Nightmare and just tried it out. First few games, won some, lost some, but it felt like what I was doing was powerful. So I decided to keep refining it. And that's one thing as well is it, as you're coming up with these crazy ideas and testing them, one thing that isn't worth, you don't want to focus too much on, did I win, did I lose? But what about the deck felt good and worked well? And is that something that you can improve on? What are some strange cards that you can add to the deck to improve consistency? Or what are cards that aren't performing? Um, and then you can get into the refining stage there. Yeah, so I guess um, going off of that, um, when, when you're building new decks and trying to like break a format with a brew, you obviously are like looking through the um, eternal, like looking through all the eternal cards, looking for um, new cards, cards that uh, haven't seen maybe as much play as you would think they would. Um, and you're looking for that edge that people aren't expecting. It, talk to me a little bit about how you um, figure out how to find those like underutilized cards and in, in interactions and um, take them to the top? A lot of it just comes to, yeah, like looking at interactions that new cards are presenting. So with the new set uh, and check being a powerful end of the battlefield effect, uh, what are some ways that we can abuse that? The first that um, pretty much everyone jumped onto was machinations. Uh, and then we looked at what are other ways that we can build on that powerful end of the battlefield effect and pause for reflection is a card that I actually saw uh, isomorphic use with Endra against me on ladder. And I looked at that as well, that sure is a way of abusing it. So added those into the deck and started to refine that. So it's, taking the new cards, looking at them, and what it really does sometimes take browsing through the entire collection to see what are some other cards that can help me abuse that or interact well with it. And then once you get that together, you build the deck out, put the power base in, and just try it for a few games to see what feels right, what doesn't feel great, and make minor changes based on that. Uh, do you have any like specific sleeper picks for cards that people maybe should be paying more attention to as they're building decks? I would say that uh, prior to the Interloper nerf, that that was my pick for the most powerful card in Eternal. Um, it's still a little less powerful, but I do think it's something that can enable some very, very cool strategies. I think there could be something with Kilo. Um, and Kilo actually is a card that, as more and more units get printed, is going to be more and more powerful because the flexibility of it is going to increase. So It's a dangerous term that comes from a game like, uh, it comes from other games, but a prime example of it would be a card game called Hearthstone. 
Uh, it's a term called mm -hmm. power creeping. And essentially, um, when you start to print or create something in a game that is more powerful, you have to continue to create things that are above the power curve of the previous thing. Otherwise, if you create things that are weaker, you you lose interest in players. And I think Eternal made a, <laughs> made a dangerous choice in printing cards like Kilo and Vox because those cards are very, very big in the in the product of power creeping because they have the, the they those cards have the ability to explode out of control with just a single wrong card printed. Oh, I think those ones were possibly the wrong cards that were printed Absolutely. after Gollum existed and Absolutely. having Gollum exist and then printing these extremely powerful two drops and four drops with Sloth and Interloper being something that makes consistency not an issue at all as far as influence goes. That's what allowed some of these decks and what put us on the five-faction Vox is this critical mass of extremely powerful two and four drops uh, that created this deck. And I, I think the Golem is still a card that is still very is going to continue being passable or very powerful. I mean, you did you never played it for the two-two body. Yes, the 2-2 body was nice. You played it because it, it gave you such a polarizing effect. It is just a free, every turn you play it, draw two cards with no downsides. But another thing I want to touch on, just in regards to the balance, is the fact that Vox seemed to escape escape from the balance uh, untouched. Do you think that that was correct to leave? Like, in your opinion, would you leave Vox as he is with no... Because, like, you have a card like Kilo, which does a similar thing, but costs two mana to use her ability. Then you have a card on Vox, on the other hand, that forces your opponent to destroy a unit and gains you life. And decks that run Vox don't really care about sacrificing their units. And you can do this all for free on turn two because it doesn't cost it. I, I think that the weakening of the some of the corrupted units to have just one health um, helps to keep Vox in check a little bit. But I, I agree that I think it's a card that having no activation cost is just obscenely powerful and something that in the future, especially if more corrupted type effects come to exist uh, and abilities that produce multiple bodies for one card, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that might become an issue. I think it's okay for right now, but it's it, Vox is one of those cards that is on the very high side of power level for sure. Well, you two could probably, uh, you two may or may not agree with me, but I was talking to someone the other day and they mentioned this to me and they said that the biggest problem necessarily might not be Vox or Kilo, but is just corrupted as a whole. Just the idea of corrupted units. And I'm wondering what yeah. both of your thoughts are on just corrupted units. Because it seems like uh, with like rare exceptions, nearly every corrupted unit just has an incredibly powerful effect when you play it and then has the ability to do that effect again. Um, a prime example that I've actually been seeing on Ladder a lot recently is um, the unblockable. So there's an unblockable Relic weapon. You play the 3-3 Minotaur that gives you six, ar it's either three or six armor, and then lets you attack again. And then you, so you attack and then sack it for the gates and then attack again, attack again. And so it's like, a, it's, so I'm just wondering like, what if the problem is just the corrupted unit? 
I think that corrupted as far as a mechanic goes is extremely powerful because yeah, you're having a unit that has a front side with a relative, uh, relevant ability and then on it can trade. And then on the backside, you could either use that relevant ability again, or now you have a dispensable body that you can either block with or in these sacrifice decks, you can abuse that body with super powerful effects like Kilo, Vox, Devour, Worthy Cause. Um, so every every corrupted unit you have is basically two units on one card, sometimes more depending on how powerful the effect is. So I think it's something that is, as a mechanic, is extremely powerful. Uh, I like it because it leads to a lot of high-skill deck building and deck piloting uh, because there's so many different choices you have to make in each of these games but uh, it's certainly uh, it's on the high end of the power level for sure yeah I think I agree with that like tacking on free cardboard to your units gives you a lot more choices Um, choices are good for like high skill level gameplay they also lead to a lot of like busted stuff because it's basically it's kind of like a lot of free upside with cards like Kato and um, just like all the corrupted units in general. So then, so the so the real question is, with it being that strong, like what are some ways that we would um, fix corrupted units if, if it comes to the point where they're just way too strong? I think I like the approach that was taken on Interloper. I guess the three corrupted changes that happened were Interloper, Two Face, and Kato, and I liked the approach that was taken on those. Having one health on the corrupted body means that it's no longer, if you sacrifice it on your turn, it's no longer going to be there for the following turn to either chump block an attack or to be used with uh, Kilo a second time since it only has one health and it's going to die right away. So I really liked those as far as weakening the ability or the total power level of the card. The other uh, one that I wasn't, or that I also liked was Kato going to two cost to activate. So it makes it your future turns a little less efficient. And probably the biggest nerf that was, had a lot of effect on these corrupted decks was Arc of Soul. I think Arc of Soul for one was just egregious as far as card power level goes. Oh, no, for sure. It was absolutely insane. It had zero drawbacks to playing it. It turned on your sacrifice deck. It costed one mana to use, so you have your turn one, crack the earth into turn two, and now you're now you're two power ahead of your opponent, and they have zero counterplay to it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think going to two now means that for even decks, you can't play your two-drop cultist, attack with it, sacrifice something, and still play another two-drop on three. So it makes those earlier turns much less efficient. You also can't use Kato, sacrifice the front end of the body, and trigger the shade on the same turn three. So um, now that they both cost two. So I think they did a fairly good job with balancing some of the corrupted stuff. I think it's still very powerful, but the one health is huge so that it's not going to be around for a second turn. Yeah, and I think uh, on that topic of the um, most recent balance update, um, there are also a bunch of buffs. Um, 
murder Cthulhu. Do you guys have any opinions on the new buffs? Um, I have a, I have a couple. Uh, I think so. Midnight Gale was a card that I think needed a buff. It was a card a lot of people really enjoyed playing, but it just it died to back when it was played. It, it died to Torch. It died to Seer. Like it just died to everything. And the one health buff may not seem like a lot, but now it's harder to contest, and we might see some resurgence of some like fell mid range lists as well. Um, I also think that in with uh, Saturday Maiden, Saturday Maiden was a hugely meta defining card in a lot of ways back when FJS was just the dominant powerhouse, uh, and then it was nerfed to uh, two three. It died to Torch. It just seemed to fall off. Uh, but I think giving the current meta with corrupted units, Statuary Maiden making a comeback is actually good uh, because of the sheer amount of corrupted units. So I think seeing some resurgence of Statuary Maidens is pretty good. Kira, Kira Battle, Kira the Prodigy, Heirloom Blade, uh, Aerial Battle, Staff of Stories. These are all like, I, I feel like slice of life buffs just to try and push something else. But I don't think we'll see those three cards being played personally or four cards. I have tried uh, Heirloom Blade recently. Uh, it is so it's a six cost now four four relic weapon that costs four less if you sacrifice a unit. So I was looking at trying to use this with Interloper uh, and a couple other corrupted units in uh, a Nightmare Gates shell. So Nightmare Gates lets you sacrifice zero cost. Triple Justice, Triple Shadow, sacrifice a unit, give your Relic weapon, plus five, plus five. But see, so my counter to that is, while it is a 4-4 four, four for two when you sacrifice a unit, I mean, we have a we have a Relic weapon, I believe it's two costs, it's the unblockable one, do you have a 2-3? Doesn't that just outclass Heirloom Blade? Yeah, so that one is... If you're looking for a combo type kill, is by far better. I was trying to do it in an even shell, so also using even-handed golem reweave to reweave into golems or into the two three. That when it shifts, you can play a relic weapon basically equal to the largest relic weapon in your void. So it's going a little bit more value in sacrifice synergies. Uh, I don't think it quite got there as a deck, but it was something that I was trying it out, and Heirloom Blade felt pretty good there. But I think it's another one of those decks that needs time to to refine, which I just haven't had the ability to do right now. Yeah, I'm so hyped for Statuary Maiden. I know that's off topic, but Statuary Maiden was one of my favorite cards. The, the only problem with it I see is it's still just going to die to Jack a lot of the time. Um, but if you can ever get a Kudgel on it, like it's... It, that thing will mean business. Well, it, it, It'll be so, really good. So in an FJS deck, or even just a... Actually, in any deck Maiden is, it's gonna, there's going to be quite a bit of removal. And you have to remember, uh, we're still in a, in a format where Stone Scar and Corrupted Units are still relatively popular per se. So, I mean, 9 out of 10 times, you're going to play Maiden on 4, following turn, as long as they don't remove it with a Jack, you're going to get the, the cudgel on it. And, now, and then it's just going to skyrocket out of control at that point. I think that's a problem, though, with the way that the meta is enthroned is you have those Stone Scar decks where mating can be extremely good and removal is really good against them. But then you also have Huru Control and Spellcrag that are playing absolutely zero units. And then it just dies to them, yeah. And it looks embarrassing. 
<laughs> and your handful of removal looks embarrassing. So it's very strange format. And that's what the boxer and I, when we were doing five faction Vox, looking at the format is removal and spell interaction is atrocious. You need a little bit of it, but you really don't want much. So our deck, we had three worthy cause that is basically the only spell-based interactions. Everything else was unit-based. So so, I, so, I have a, so here's a question for you on the topic of like just unitless decks and spellcrag decks and, and interactions with them when it, guard, when it comes to unit uh, decks that run a lot of units. I mean, anyone that knows me knows um, I absolutely love control. I love the unitless archetype. I'm, I'm here for it. I want it to stay. My thing is, is what is, what is your opinion on, uh, on unitless decks? And do you think that the cards that came out that clearly and undoubtedly obviously were, were geared to hating unitless decks were warranted? Uh, I think, I mean, they're still extremely powerful, but so I think that they're, they're still doing fine. Uh, and they were fine as far as cards to be printed. Probably the worst one that you, the one that you don't want to see the most is control right now is silver blade menace because there's so many spells. Yeah. You can just die on the spot. Ikari is a lot easier to work around because most or they're, the control decks are all primal base, and you'll actively have uh, turn to seed or have face a just when you kill it. So that's something that you can work around. But menace, I've I've hit people for fifteen plus with <laughs> menaces. <laughs> yeah, that card's wild. My goodness, it is very insane. I, I actually have it as a sideboard option in a, in a deck I'm currently brewing right now, um, and. That game, like that card, just wins games against like really grindy control decks. Oh, absolutely. But then the problem is that against a deck like uh, Stone Scar, they have very few spells, and you're paying four for a really bad body. So yeah, because against Stone Scar, three three blocker actually doesn't block well against anything. If anything, you'll trade it. You'll trade into a Milos or a uh, the 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 two mana three three shadow. I can't remember the name of it. Um, yeah, you're you're always trading down with it rather than up. It's it's a very interesting meta, and it being so polarized, it's been extremely difficult to brew for. Um, especially since the deck that I would have wanted to take into this type of meta, which was Five Faction Fox, which is extremely flexible. Uh, I don't think it exists as a deck. Well, especially losing Distillation, I think that was one of the biggest hits. Yeah, Distillation was their prime draw card. It had almost no downside. Just a four mana draw three was pretty yeah. good because you almost always had a unit on the board. And you have Corrupted Shades. Mm -hmm. The nerf was huge, but uh, unnecessary. I feel like the amount of times we saw that card was probably a little too high. Yeah, I think it was four cost for it where all these decks are wanting to play units and most of the time units that they're okay leaving tapped shades especially if you have to tap a shade for it then that's easy <laughs> yeah the distillation nerf made me pretty sad specifically because um it, it, it also um pretty much crushed even combray which was my pet deck is you you were able to um exhaust an imperial loyalist with distillation and grab a four drop which was really really powerful can't do that anymore can't even play distillation so that deck really doesn't have enough card draw at the moment which is just unfortunate because I, I really liked it. I thought it was a good contender to the um, 
Vox and Kilo decks. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate. It's made, it's made my um, testing process a lot harder because I was hoping that deck would be uh, closer to viable. Yeah, it was tough having all these ideas after from Sunday night till Monday, having all these ideas of decks I could bring. And then uh, Monday night, they post what the patch is going to be and it's back to the drawing bar- board on pretty much everything. Sounds like they're trying to nerf you and Boxer, huh? It feels that way. <laughs> in the uh, the Team Rank Star Discord after the po- the uh, update got posted for the balance patch, um, GHP sent out a message saying that uh, people needed to check on Boxer and I, <laughs> make sure we're okay. <laughs> I, I do think that I have a bit of pride about this though because I think we can confidently say that we had a hand in nerfing about five different cards from that deck so interloper kato golem distillation and arc of soul i think we can pretty confidently say that we had a huge part in getting those cards nerfed so there's a bit of pride there <laughs> oh yeah. without a doubt but i mean just shows the power level of a card really Oh, it really does. I think I was, overall, as far as balance goes, I was quite happy with the changes. I think they hit a lot of the cards that were extremely powerful, so they needed it. I was sad that they uh, also hit my sealed pool that had, my deck had about six of these cards that are now nerfed. Uh, no. <laughs> I feel uh, like I saw that screenshot where you had like a Machinations or something. I, I queued up with the deck, didn't know the balance patch was live, and then my opening hand had Rectifier, Machination, and Interloper. <laughs> which would have been an amazing hand just a few minutes earlier. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's rough. So I guess kind of like as a um, final major topic, I, I know we've all been talking this whole time about how it's going to be hard to um, test and predict what the meta is going to look like for this upcoming event, but I, I kind of think it would be fun to try and predict anyways. So I guess uh, for both uh, you, Murder, and uh, for uh, Cthulhu, uh, what do you think the makeup of the top 64 is going to look like? What, what decks do you think are going to be um, uh, taking the lead in this format? Optimally, what I would want to see is something new, something interesting. Uh, just just the deck archetype that we haven't seen before would be nice. Uh, maybe something combo weary. But realistically speaking, um, my current predictions are we're going in the top 64 in no particular order. We're going to see uh, some form of Horu unitless control. Uh, we're going to see some form of Stone Scar, whether it's mid range or aggro. I think we're going to see a lot of decks that are running Jack. Uh, and I think that it, I think that FTS could be very viable and thrown as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm feeling pretty similarly. I think it's going to be a lot of Spellcrag, Huru control, so unitless primal-based control uh, using face ages and turn to seed, facing off against a lot of Jek-based aggro, um, Stone Scar, and Praxis mainly. I think there'll be a little bit of other decks in there, but... And typically speaking, turn to seed is... Also, Turn to Seed, no one really talked about it, but in my opinion, Turn to Seeds was the strongest card to come out of this set. It is quite literally Avagraft with no drawbacks. Yeah, unremovable Avagraft that also hits all other cards in play. So if they have multiple Jekko, you play 
Abagraph could only hit one of those, but this is hitting all of them. The only downside is if they stay alive for five turns, they become five sevens. But realistically speaking, in a deck where you're running Rain of uh, not Rain of Frogs, in a deck where you're running Turn to Seeds, you're going to be able to get rid of those Turn to Seeds whenever you want. Exactly. You're running Hailstorms, or in Huru, you're running Harsh Rules. So it really isn't a problem, especially against these cards that have big enter the battlefield effects, like Jek being four damage every time it's played. Getting rid of that is huge. Yeah, I think I think a Jek deck's going to win this event. I'm going to call that right now. I don't think that's a particularly hot take. <laughs> it really isn't. But... <laughs> and I think the, the, the players who figure out the best ways to utilize Jek are going to set themselves apart from the rest of the field. Yeah, I'm definitely on board with you on that. I think a very refined Jack Egger list, or I've been tinkering with, and other people have been tinkering with uh, Jack Scream type lists. I think maybe a refined version of that works, but I've been having a hard time getting it to work. So we'll see if someone can come up with a refined list or not in time. Yeah, I was trying out that deck, and, like, it was really powerful when it worked, but it just, like, I kept having hands that were, like, missing a faction, because you have to play a lot of, like, fire seats and a lot of fire sigils um, for Jek, and for, like, if you're playing Endra, Endra. Um, so, it, the, the deck sometimes, like, just I would have, I would have to, like, mold a six and have a bad hand, and it would be like, well, I don't know what I could have done. Um, but, like... There's definitely something there. Like, screaming back at Jack is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something that when I've been playing it and when it works, it what you're doing feels extremely powerful. It's just a matter of refining that shell to be consistent enough and not to have those dead draws, which in now is the time of recording. There's about a day and a half, two days until the tournament starts. There's really not much time to get that list refined so we'll see see what happens i think with that we could probably segue into uh wrapping this up um murder of crows was there any uh, anything you wanted to plug before we uh before we signed off today uh, no i don't think uh, i've got any plugs but um wanted to thank you guys for having me on here i'm if people want to get in touch with me i'm pretty active in a number of discord so often be stopping by various Twitch streams as well. So feel free to catch me if you see me. Uh, happy to talk to people, answer questions and whatnot. I mean, for me personally, I, uh, I'm happy to be a part of this. I'm glad we started this. I think the, I think this is good for the Eternal community to have some more content creation. Um, I'm happy you were able to come on Murder Crows and just be able to talk to us about your, your experiences with the expedition and talk to us about some of these uh different things coming up as well as the balance patches. Um, I really just want to plug, uh, plug my team, WSG, a great group of guys. We have a lot of fun. Uh, plug Murder Crows and, and Doc for uh, being out here today to do this uh, podcast. Plug Team Rankstar just for having some amazing, as well, another amazing team as well. Um, and then just uh, plug myself, a little bit of, little bit of self-promotion. Uh, people can follow me. You can find me on, on Twitch, uh, typically every other day, uh, starting on Mondays, uh, as well as on Twitter. Yeah, to, to that, actually, to your plug on Team Rankstar, Team Rankstar website is down, um, but the Eternal team is still going, and uh, Notorious GHP and T Chambers have been working on uh, 
an extra side project, uh, which is Backlash News. Uh, they have as well Backlash Podcasts. So uh, a lot of the guys at Team Rankstar have been writing articles over there now. So go and check that out. Yeah, super great site. Um, the plugs I have are for uh, the Misplay. Uh, uh, they have a website. They also have a podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you should also listen to their podcast because it's great. Um, I'm also a part of Team Misplay, uh, working with those folks over there. Uh, been a good time for sure. Uh, in terms of this cast, uh, there we have a Patreon coming soon, uh, still in the works, but it'll have some cool uh, tier benefits, uh, exclusive content from the hosts, all sorts of good stuff coming there. And uh, we also have the uh, Shimmercast Discord. Um, that There will be a link to that um, at the bottom of the description of this episode. Um, you can join there and uh, talk to uh, the hosts and other great players that are joining the Discord. Um, so yeah. Uh, excited to be creating a little bit of a um, community with that. Couldn't agree more. Alrighty, thanks for listening, uh, and we will be signing off. See you guys next time.